Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. You know, I really appreciate and have been really enjoying reading all of your posts, comments, and incoming messages over the past few weeks. Please, please keep them coming in. Because whether you know it or not, they really do play a part in what topics I have here on the podcast. And it's really great to know who's out there on the other side of this. You know, I really love having an idea about who's out there listening. It really means a lot. Um, And so this week, as I was reading through some comments and questions, one that popped out at me is actually really quite relevant to the show we have on for you here today. I got a question from Kathy in Oregon about binge eating. And she wrote, hi, my therapist recently diagnosed me with binge eating disorder, but I honestly think she's wrong. I think I'm just lazy and need to try harder to not eat so much at night. How do I know if I'm wrong or she is? Well, what a great question, Kathy. Thank you for sending that in to me. You know, I've certainly had many people over the years wondering just the same thing, and it It's really common for people who have binge eating disorder to have a history of dieting for years and years. And because of that, they really come to believe that they're the problem. Because with each failing diet, instead of placing the blame where it belongs, which is on the diet, they blame themselves. They tell themselves that they lack willpower. They're lazy. They didn't try hard enough. Just all those things you put in your question. And then they vow to do it, quote unquote, right the next time. So when you have this kind of history, you already believe those things about yourself. So of course, it can be really difficult to believe you have a diagnosis of an eating disorder when you already have this long-standing belief about yourself and your relationship with food. And I don't want to get too clinical here, but basically someone who has binge eating disorder eats a large amount of food more than they would normally consume in that amount of time. They feel out of control of their eating during these times. They feel distressed about their eating behavior. And they experience at least three of the following things I'm about to say. Eating very quickly, eating to the point of being uncomfortable, eating a lot of food while not hungry, feeling embarrassed about the amount they're eating, or feeling guilty or negatively about themselves after overeating. And they don't follow these things up with compensating for their overeating with doing things like purging or fasting. So, you know, again, I didn't want to get too clinical, but I just wanted to give a sense of like when we're diagnosing binge eating disorder, those are the the typical criteria we're using. Um, So if anybody out there listening can can go, oh, you know, that sounds like me. Um, And you've been wondering the same thing as Kathy. Um, You know, if you're not seeing a therapist already or you've been wondering if, you know, you're struggling with binge eating disorder, you know, of course, it's a great idea. Always I advocate going in and um, seeking uh, a diagnosis or clinical um, assessment just to see if 
that's really what you have instead of maybe beating yourself up and saying, oh, I'm just lazy or I'm not doing this right. I keep failing. So Kathy, I hope that clarified some things for you. And I do hope you continue discussing more of this with your therapist. And, you know, for any of you out there who can relate to Kathy, I do hope that some of this information also helped you as well. That's why I love the questions continuing to come in, because I think that the questions I'm seeing coming in, I know that um, it's not just the one person who's sending it in that has those questions. So as I read them off uh, week by week on the podcast, I hope that it uh, helps many of you out there who ask them um, in your own minds. So that being said, the guests here today and I are certainly going to delve deeper into binge eating and and just the daily struggles of what it's like to have an eating disorder. Um, Alana Vanderspice is a certified eating intuitive eating counselor, author, speaker, and eating disorder survivor. She is the founder of Freedom with Food and Fitness, an online community dedicated to empowering those who want to heal their relationship with food, weight, and their bodies through intuitive eating and movement. Well, Alana, welcome to the show. Hi, Christina. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. I've I've the day off from my from my actual full time job as a as a teacher, so it's it's a good day. That is a good day. <laughs> it looks beautiful where you're at. Where are you located? Uh, Northern New Jersey. Oh, so nice. we have some nice nice crisp fall weather, which it's my favorite season. So I'm very happy. So those of you who can't see what I'm seeing, there's these beautiful trees in the background and I'm just going, oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I live in the sticks, so we have lots of nature. Awesome. Well, you um, and I talked before and, you know, I think this topic does need to really be uh, discussed on the podcast. I've had people talk about it um, before, but not really just focused on um, binge eating disorder. And I really appreciate that you're here and willing to discuss openly about um about that and your experience so um you know with that being said um I'm just wondering would you mind sharing a little bit just so the audience gets to know you a little bit more maybe about you and and um you know why why you felt like that was such a great topic just for us to talk about on here sure uh you know Part of the reason that I think it's such an important topic to talk about is because not only my specific journey, uh, but also the fact that I don't think a lot of people even realize that they have an issue with binging. I remember very vividly in college coming across binge eating disorder, like on the internet. And I was like, I definitely don't have that. And then like a few years later, I realized I definitely did have that. Um, I just didn't realize what it was. It was because what I thought it was and what it actually is are two very different things. And I'll go into that in a second. But for my journey, I had always grown up kind of knowing my next steps in life. I was all very like, you know, get the A and and excel in your extracurriculars. And I was always the good girl and the people pleaser and I did everything right. And I would get, you know, as all children do in school, I would get marks for it. I would get, you know, all the A's and the hundreds and everything. And I could kind of quantify my worth into those things. And then when I graduated college, I didn't have those parameters anymore. I didn't have anything to kind of measure how worthy I was. And I'd always used external validation to do those things. And I felt very lost and out of control in the trajectory of my life. So I wanted to control something. And a lot of times 
you know, people get caught up in diets and restrictive eating and disordered eating because they feel like they want to control something. So they try to control their weight or their, their food and their food intake. And that's exactly what I did. And it resulted in um, binge eating disorder, which is a diagnosable eating disorder. I myself was never diagnosed because I'm in a body very similar to I am right now. I'm in a straight sized body and everybody saw me as the thin fit one, the healthy one. And no one ever flagged me as having an issue because I was so ashamed of it and kept it to myself. Nobody realized behind the scenes what I was doing and things that I was doing, which are very, you know, indicative of binge eating disorder is Monday through Friday. I would eat super, super clean. I would eat as the least amount of calories I possibly could without passing out. I would only eat, you know, quote unquote, safe foods, right? Like Mm -hmm. your egg whites and your oatmeal and your yogurt and whatever, you know, foods I still enjoy today, but were the safe ones then. Mm -hmm. And then like Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, I would go out with my friends. We'd have a few cocktails. My inhibitions would be lowered. And I'd start thinking, you know, I really deserve all those, you know, X, Y, Z food. You know, I don't have that during the week. I've been so good. I deserve this. And I would allow myself to have those foods, but I was so malnourished and so restrictive during the week that when I had those foods, I would just binge on them. And, you know, what I was saying before about what we perceived binging to be sometimes and what it actually is. I thought bingers were people that had like 15 calories and one 15,000 calories in one sitting. And it, but it wasn't that it was just eating for me. It was just eating way more than what my body really needed and eating past comfortable fullness and the shame that, that came along with that and feeling like I had quote unquote, messed up my diet, that I was going to gain a bunch of weight. And that I had to make up for that, not only with exercise, but with restrictive eating starting on Monday. Mm. And then the cycle would go on and on and on. And I was stuck in the cycle for so long because I didn't realize that the only way to get out of it was to actually adequately consistently nourish my body. So, and, cause that's a very scary thing to do right after a binge is to actually keep feeding yourself. Right. So that, that was kind of, that was my journey and it, it went on for years. So that's interesting, right? So you read about it and I think that's the thing is that it sounds at least a lot of eating disorders, they sound um, on paper or they read on paper, like very specific. And when people try to relate to it, it's like, that's not me, right? That doesn't sound like my day to day. Um, or even like, if you watch a video or something like for me, I'm older, like it was like the after school special, right? It was like, that's not me. Um, it was a very prescribed, like a stereotypical, like thought of what that looks like. And it's really like, oh, no, if there's a dissonance. If there is like, or there's a disconnect of like, that's not me. So um, yeah, much to your point, it's like, I'm screwing up a diet or I'm doing something wrong. I just have to do this better. Not really realizing what you're doing is disordered. Right. And a lot of people will tell me that they're addicted to certain foods and that they can't trust themselves around certain foods. And the studies show that food addiction is a very, very rare thing to actually have. It's really coming from restriction. If you're not going to allow yourself to have Oreos 
in the house or anywhere, like once you come across a real life situation where like you're, maybe you're at a party and there are Oreos, of course, you're going to like binge on them and hyperfixate on them. And it feels like an addiction because you feel like you can't control yourself around that food, but it's really not an addiction per se. It's, it's a food being put on a pedestal because you're giving so much weight and, and value to it. Curious, like, did you have those kind of thoughts for yourself? Like, oh, I can't have these kinds of things in my house or I don't trust myself around these things. Like, did you have that kind of mindset for yourself even? Because I, I mean, I know I work with people and, you know, I had my own disorder in the past, but I hear that a lot. So anyone listening might be going, oh, come on, like, there's no way, like, I absolutely cannot trust myself around X, Y, and Z food. Or, Are you kidding? Like, if I had that in the house, it'd be gone in two seconds. Like, do you remember having that? thought about things too? You know, it was never a specific food that I had that about, but what would be my downfall would be like a holiday or a party setting. Mm -hmm. If there was, I used to think I had a huge sweet tooth and don't get me wrong. Like I love sweets. I love ice cream and brownies or whatever, but, um, I used to think it was a bigger sweet tooth and like a problem because I would go to like a holiday and they'd have the dessert table. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would get like one of everything and I would have to eat it all. And afterward I would feel so sick, like physically just mm -hmm. overfull, very sluggish from all the sugar. Um, I would feel so, so much shame for what I had done, wondering if people had seen me do that, or like, if it was all in my head that I looked like a, you know, crazy person shoveling food down my face. Um, and I would eat things on the dessert table that I don't even like, like, I would just be like, Oh, pineapple upside down cake. All right. Well, since I usually don't allow myself to have sweets and it's available to me, I'm just going to eat it for the sake of it being there. But I don't even like that type of dessert. So it was, it was just very bizarre that the rational part of my brain would click off and the primal brain, the primal brain would click on and be like, just, just be like, like, don't die. Don't starve to death. Just eat, 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 eat. And then you'd kind of come out of that and you're like, oh my God, what have I done? So that's an interesting um, word. You use the primal part, right? The, the part about like trying to survive it's, it's beyond you at that point. I mean, Cause you were saying earlier, you know, trying to control something. Right. And then at this point, completely being out of control mm -hmm. but that's your body's like you said it's your body's way of making sure you stay alive yeah and that's that's something that I don't think a lot of people realize is when you're on a diet and you are at a calorie deficit or you are restricting whole food groups that you truly enjoy your body doesn't perceive that as a diet it doesn't know how to do that it's 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 perceiving the diet as a famine or starvation, like back when we were like cave people, like that's all it thinks it is. And your body's primary job is to keep you alive. And the way to do that is to feed you. Mm -hmm. So if it perceives a famine or starvation, the minute it sees food, especially, and this is why we tend to binge on like high caloric, high fat, high sugar foods is because those are the most calorically dense. Those are the, you know, so our body seeks those out and it's like, oh my God, we're going to save ourselves. Eat, 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 eat. And this mm -hmm. is all it's doing. Like anytime you binge, it's just your body trying to save you. 
and keep you alive. It's and, and it's not sure after this moment when the next time you're going to allow it to eat. You know what I mean? So it's 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 kind of storing up for winter the way that a bear does, and mm-hmm. it's it, it makes sense. And it's just it it's not your body trying to thwart your your diet goals. It's just trying to keep you alive. Exactly. And I wish people understood that more because then, like you said, the shame would be gone, the guilt would be gone, and you know that inner inner Ed, right, talking to you and beating you up, like, oh my gosh, you screwed up. What'd you do again? Right. That it. Just, I don't know if you had that too, but just the, oh, yeah. like the incessant critic of just like berating you after. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, I, I, it's, it's beyond the bite. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's not, it's not about the food. There is so much that goes into that. And part of the reason that I had an eating disorder was because I was, and probably still a little bit of a recovering perfectionist. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of black and white thinking, a lot of all or nothing thinking. And it was, I don't, I'm sure, you know, Brene Brown, I'm sure everybody knows Brene Brown at this point, but she talks about the 20 ton shield of perfectionism. And you're trying to carry this thing around in order to protect yourself from criticism. So I was trying to be the thinnest I possibly could because I was socialized to believe that thin meant I would be accepted. And I thought that that was going to be my shield from criticism. So if I could stay as thin as possible, no one could hurt me. And that wasn't the case. I was just hurting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I mean, disordered eating can come from a million different places. It could be perfectionism, people pleasing, past trauma. Um, it could be a, a bunch of different things. And it's not, it's not about the food. It's, it's what is causing you to have a broken relationship with food. So it's not that you're addicted to food necessarily. It's that you have some unresolved issues um, with, with your thoughts and beliefs that need to be kind of teased out. Yeah. And I think, you know, that is such a big statement, right? So people probably who are listening, just trying to grapple with this or try to understand this, or maybe you don't have disordered eating or eating disorders going, wait a minute, it has to be about the food. Cause I hear that all the time. What do you mean? It's not about the food. Just, you know, I hear people think, why, why can't people just stop binging or why can't I stop binging or, you know, why can't I just eat more? Why, you know, it's just that we're just right. And it's, it's not a behavior. It's mm-hmm. looking at the behavior and saying what's again behind it. It's, there's the biological drive, right. For us as humans, we, we want to survive. I mean, our bodies want to take care of us. So, you know, if we could just look at it, just like you said, so beautifully and say, my body's really trying to take care of me and keep me alive. And hopefully that could over time, really just squash the shame and the guilt and say, you know, thank you for trying to save me right? Instead of it being like, I screwed up. It's no, my body's really trying to protect me and keep me here. And I got to look at what's happening here. Why would I want to do something that's ultimately going to hurt me? So my, my biological being has to step in and like override the system over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of us fighting biology. I mean, 80% of our body size and shape is determined by genetics. And, 
especially with this like integrative medicine trend of just, you know, biohack your way to living forever by the foods that you eat. It's like, of course, nutrition plays a part. Of course it does. It's it's the 10th the and last principle of intuitive eating is gentle nutrition. We do incorporate nutrition, but it's not this like end all be all thing. And people fixate on, on weight, which again, is not the best indication of health. It's not a direct correlation between the two. So we're trying, everyone's trying to be thin. And like, this is like the worst thing for me to say. I feel like, or I feel a lot of guilt having to say it as a straight sized person, but like not everybody can be thin. Like that's not the way that we were built. Um, I'm not genetically made for six pack abs and I wanted that my entire life. And it definitely, um, contributed to my body dysmorphia because I would obsessively body check because I wanted a body that I wasn't meant to have. And, you know, like there are things about my body that I had wished were different and that other people wish were different about their bodies. And a lot of people want to be thin and it's just, everybody's varied the way that all other species are varied and Mm -hmm. wrapping our head around how much of this has been socialized. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it wasn't always this way. You know, it wasn't until the 1900s that the fuller figure was kind of not in vogue anymore. But for a lot of history, you wanted to be a fuller figured woman because that meant that you had wealth and status. Right. Um, and it's changed now simply because of the culture. But you don't need to be a certain weight to be healthy. You don't need to be a certain weight to be accepted or loved or any of those things. And fighting your own biology will simply result in things like binging and binging you the rest of your life. Cause whatever you do to get to whatever weight you're at, you're gonna have to do for the rest of your life. Well, not only that, but speaking of health, if you're really fighting biology, you know, and you're doing these things to try to control the size you are meant to be, you're actually going to cause your body to be in a state of unhealth. Yeah. You know, a lot of people do very um, drastic things. Like you said, starvation, just horrible things to their bodies that create disease and illness just to try to be in a smaller body that biologically, genetically, they're not meant to be in. And, you know, unfortunately our society praises them and says, oh my gosh, good job, you know? And it's, that's horrible to me because I'm going, all these people are, are out there su- struggling, suffering. Their life is like, you know, occupied in like their whole life revolves around all these behaviors, um, disordered behaviors. And they're actually making their bodies very unwell and unhealthy. And that's a shame. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot to be said about how mental health plays into our overall view of what health is. and. I would argue at my lowest weight, I was my most mentally and physically unhealthy that I've ever been in my entire life. I am the heaviest I've ever been in my life and I am way better off, way better off. Um, I, you know, my nails were super brittle. My hair was falling out. I couldn't think about anything but food and exercise. My social life suffered. It was very hard. My my brain fog was very hard as a, as a grad student to concentrate. I ended and 
<laughs> this is anecdotal and I don't know if this had a correlation, but I'm going to say it anyway. I ended up not being able or having trouble conceiving because I had a benign tumor on my adrenal gland. I probably had so much adrenal fatigue that like I had the, I had this tumor. I had to get it taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, my blood pressure was through the roof. I had high cholesterol. Like I all these um. things wrong with me. And that's something that I, I came across later on is if you are someone who uh, is very restrictive with their, your food or you've been diagnosed with anorexia, you may have really high cholesterol as a result. Mm-hmm. I forget the correlation, but like these things happen and it's, it's, it's really scary what you can do to your overall health in the pursuit of quote unquote health, like diet culture's version of health. That, yes. Exactly. And, and I found that myself and, uh, you know, a lot of my patients are shocked, you know, I always have them get labs and, uh, people who are restricting their cholesterol is very high and they're always shocked. And I found that myself, my cholesterol was super high on my labs and I'm going, what is going on? And, you know, unfortunately, if anyone's listening, this is something very interesting. <laughs> if you find this out, because a lot of medical doctors will then prescribe the symptom and they'll say, well, you need to cut down on your saturated fats. You need to eat less fatty foods, less fried foods. And I know for myself, I was already doing that. So it just made it worse. And that's actually going to make it worse um, because then you just go into further restrictions if that's possible. But um, that's a telltale sign too. And I think that that needs to, you know, if you, I have people like just Google it real quick. I'm not a big fan of Dr. Google, but it does come up if you like Google high cholesterol and eating disorders, it does show up. It's, it's an actual thing. So, um, note to people listening, like a lot, the body does do very horrible, interesting things when you are not providing it enough nutrition and fuel. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you talk to your patients about this, but there's, there's your weight set point. There is the, you know, five to 10 pound range where your body runs most optimally and feels most comfortable. And it's not the same as BMI. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's very individual. And, you know, you know that you're there when you are not restricting, when you're listening to your hunger, fullness, and satiety cues, when your weight stabilizes, when you feel energized and just good in your body, and it's not going to be the same for every person. So you kind of have to really, and it's such a scary thing because it was really scary for me. You have to let go of the control. You have to throw out the scale. You have to stop calorie counting. And you just have to listen to your body and it will tell you what it needs. I, I crave ice cream and I crave broccoli on the same day. Mm-hmm. It does happen. <laughs> yeah, I think people don't understand that. Like all food is food. And, you know, just as you said that, wait a minute, like what? But it does get to that point where you just realize like, it, getting rid of even the labels or the ideas about what foods are like quote unquote good or quote unquote bad or quote unquote healthy, unhealthy, like, and getting to that point of it, just being like, that's what I want right now. And not having a certain feeling about it or a certain emotion or a certain, you know, idea about what that means for your body or what that means for the rest of your day or even the rest of the week. Um, it's so freeing when that happens. It is. And, and a lot of people don't realize that when you stop the binge restrict cycle, you might, and this is not a guarantee by any means, but you might actually lose weight because you have, you have to think about it this way. If you want to cook, if you get to a place where you want a cookie and you have a cookie, 
then you go on with the rest of your day and you're not thinking about the cookie anymore because you had it and it was great. But if you want a cookie and you deny yourself the cookie and then you're just thinking about the cookie and thinking about the cookie and then you have 12 cookies when you could have just had the one, that's where we run into trouble with, with weight and then also the shame and all the other things that come along with binging. Right. Not to advocate weight loss. That's not the goal. But in, in terms of what you're saying, in terms of like the whole point of like, if you're quote unquote dieting to lose weight, you know, it's really ironic that a lot of the time dieting is actually going to cause the one thing that you are trying to <laughs> get away from. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, we're not advocating weight loss here. And I mean, I, I gained weight ultimately on my journey, but I, if you would have told me back in the day that I would have gained weight on this journey, I would have been terrified and would have told you heck no and not have gone on it. But where I am now, I love my body so much more Mm -hmm. because it's not, it's not my worth. I see myself as a whole person who is worthy no matter what she weighs and has all these other things in her life that I'm very grateful for. Like I think gratitude practice Mm -hmm. is a huge thing in healing because you stop fixating on the one singular thing about yourself um, and making it mean everything about you. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not a weight loss guarantee by any means, but you hopefully get to what your body was always meant to be at. And when we talk about that, like, I think that's the whole point is really looking at what are you hoping to get from doing all of this? Like, what's the ultimate outcome? What is the life? What is the feeling? What is it? You know, people will say like, oh, I can only be happy or I can only do this or I can but I think you said something, you know, a couple minutes ago of like, if you're doing all of this to get to some ideal body or some ideal weight or some ideal something in your mind, you're going to have to do that the rest of your life. Yeah. Right. That's tough. That's really tough. And again, as I, as I said before, you know, when I was my lowest weight, I was my most miserable, it did not bring me happiness. And mm-hmm. what I've learned in my journey is that happiness isn't, I mean, this is kind of like, people always say this, it's not a destination. Mm-hmm. It's it's the journey. And I think a better way of saying that is it's a conscious decision to make in the present moment, whether or not you're happy, because happiness, if, if you keep thinking it's the next thing in your life, it's always a moving target. So for me in my, in my disorder, I had a goal weight in mind. I would reach that goal weight and I would be happy for like maybe a little while. And then I'd be like, okay, well, I can get lower. I can get lower. And I was chasing something that I never quite found. And I, and I'm sure your high achieving listeners will, will resonate with this as well, who might also be disordered eaters is I would get all these accolades and awards and degrees, and I would do all these things. And none of them were, I thought they were going to bring me happiness, but they never did. I was chasing happiness in, in awards and external validation and I never quite found it. And I was like, oh crap, like it's not about that next award or thing or accomplishment. I just have to be happy as I am now because nothing I ever amass is going to give me it. Right. And I think that's, you know, I think that's part of the perfectionism, right? That's part of the people pleasing. That's part of what you're talking about this. Like, what is it you're really trying to get? And you get those plateaus of, like you said, you hit a certain goal, whether it's the degree or the weight or whatever, but then it's fleeting. And it's like, why doesn't it stay that way? It's not constant. So you're, 
and that's the scary thing with the eating disorder. It's like, okay, maybe if I hit that and it was a moment of happiness, maybe a little bit more is better. Maybe if I just get a little bit less and a little bit less and a little, you know, you down that slippery slope and, you know, then that's a really scary place to be because you start losing your perspective. Right. Well, that, that's the thing. That's what I try to do with my clients is kind of like zoom out their thinking about their lives and about who they are. And I always say, kind of going back to what we were saying before, there, there are four things that people are looking for when they're pursuing weight loss for, for happiness. It's they're looking, I, I call it salve, like the salve you would put on a wound. It's safety, acceptance, love, and validation. Those are the three, they're the four things that we look mm-hmm. for as human beings to fulfill. And some of us try to do it with our weight because of the society that we're in. So what, when you work with people, so are you, um, do people more come to you because they're more working on like the internal or are they coming to you because they're frustrated with, Hey, my diet's not working and I'm really frustrated with my weight. Like what kind of, um, stage are people at when they're coming to you? Um, they usually come to me where they are still dissatisfied with their body, their weight, um, but they've gotten to the point where they're starting to realize that diets aren't working for them and they don't know what else to do. And, you know, some of them know about intuitive eating, some of them not really. And um, very rarely do they come to me and already know kind of like the underlying um, mental anguish that is causing all of these issues. Okay. So what, I mean, I'm just curious for you, like, what do you think it is that helps people really understand, like, they're not failing at diets, they're not doing something wrong with the food, like, this is beyond, like, them needing to figure out how to eat better or diet better, or that they're not failing, they don't, they're not, like, lacking willpower, (laughs) Sure. Um, two things. Uh, number one is the science. <laughs> you know, like I show them the scientific studies. I'm like, hey, so 95% of diets fail and, you know, people regain the weight in one to five years. And so it's not, like, it can't be all of us. It just can't be. Um, and, you know, and back to what we were saying before, like it, it's not all, most diets aren't sustainable long-term and that's why they only work in the short term. Right. Um, so science for sure. I'm a big, uh, I used to be a journalist as well. So I love okay. research. I love journalism. I love scientific studies. It's a, give me all the studies. Uh, and then the second thing is that I, um, you know, a, a big part of my group coaching program is like the intuitive eating principles and how to apply those in like a very actionable and realistic way. But the other half of the program is the mindset work because you can, I mean, and I see this with, with like, you know, I- intensive eating disorder programs. It's like they put them on a refeeding program and they like give them a meal plan, but they don't tell them, they don't really go through. And I'm not saying this is all programs, but some of them don't go through like why these people have been having issues with eating. Like what, what is the mindset behind all this? If you're not going to give them those tools to kind of challenge their beliefs and change their beliefs, then, you know, they're just following another plan almost. So I, I try to tease out with my clients what their thoughts are about food and about weight in their bodies and, and challenge them. Like, are those thoughts really true? Are they really serving you? And can we find truth in maybe the opposite of that, of that thought? It's kind of like, I don't know if you know, Byron Katie, she has a um, inquiry-based uh, coaching called The Work. So I kind of try to apply a very similar thing to my own programs. So 
based on what the work you do with your clients, is that like what the, the basis for, I know you have a book coming up. Is that more of what the basis for the book is, or is the book based on something more personal? Like I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what's coming up. And I think you said April, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's um, the spring basically. Okay. Um, they're not there. They haven't like nailed down a definitive uh, release date yet, but it's going to be in the spring of 2023. Uh, the working title as of now is freedom with food and fitness. How intuitive eating is the key to your happiest, healthiest self. Uh, and the book is split into it's half food, half fitness, uh, because I don't think there's enough discussion about how to incorporate intuitive movement into into your life because so many of us are just like punishing ourselves with exercise and trying to you know burn off whatever we've eaten and um kind of how to not only find something a type of movement that you enjoy but how to find the time in a busy schedule to do it consistently mm-hmm. because consistent movement is really really great for health um so i discuss that and then i discuss you know the food the food portion of it. Um, a lot of the book has, you know, anecdotal stories of mine through my struggles, things that I've done throughout my journey. And then just a lot, a lot of very practical tips and hacks and things like that, because I feel like, you know, that we have the intuitive eating book by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush that kind of walks you through, um, the, the principles and, and things like that. But I, I, I felt like there was a, a hole in the market for a book that was like, actual just tips in terms of how to apply it to your own life in a way that's that you could do today. Awesome. Well, that's, I mean, that's exciting that you uh, got a book out and, you know, I think that's, that's the thing is how to actually implement the principles and things into real life and having actual examples uh, from somebody who's been there and, and gone through it and to somebody to relate to. That's a lot of why I do the podcast is to have you know, people like yourself on here to discuss like, Hey, what did my real life look like when I was going through this, you know? And, um, you know, cause I think a lot of people out there listening probably are going like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm at that point where I'm trying to, I'm hearing things and going, is that me? Do I have something that's disordered or am I really just a bad quote unquote dieter or, um, you know, it kind of sparks some things or, you know, even listening to somebody like yourself and saying, wow, she like got through it and maybe I can too. And that's, you know, hopefully sparking some hope. Um, but you know, and, and then maybe even having heard, okay, what is intuitive eating? I've heard about it, but like, maybe I need to figure out how to actually like put that into my real life. What does that look like? I can understand the principles, but on a day to day, what does that look like? Like using those principles. So it's really, do we need a definition? Should we, should we throw out a definition of intuitive eating? Probably. Yeah. So for anyone who's, I mean, I have had Evelyn on the show. So anyone want to go back and listen to that podcast, maybe, you know, go back and find it. It's, uh, you know, Evelyn was on uh, a previous podcast, but yes, I think it's important. Absolutely. for, For sure. Sure. I do love Evelyn, by the way. She's so sweet. She was the one out of, out of Evelyn and um, Elise. She was the one that did my, my certification with me. So she's such a sweetheart. Um, it was, it was a, a full circle moment for me too. I was like, oh my God, you, have, you saved my life. But anyway, yeah. So intuitive eating is the anti-diet framework. It's backed by science. And it basically, it teaches you how to listen to your body cues, your interoceptive awareness, your hunger, your fullness, your satiety. There is a component where we uh, follow what we call gentle nutrition. So we do keep nutrition in mind, but we're just not like really obsessive and restrictive over it. There is a joyful, intuitive movement piece where we, 
you know, find movement that we enjoy. Like if you don't like CrossFit, don't do CrossFit, garden, take walks, do whatever makes you happy. So it's, I like to say it's health without obsession. It's, it's, we are trying to do health promoting behaviors, but we're trying to do it in a way that is not super controlling, super obsessive and anything like that. So that's intuitive eating to me in a nutshell. But I think, you know, going back to the book, I think a lot of people are like, well, what about if I work outside of the house all day, like is meal prepping allowed? Because they think once they're an intuitive eater, they're not allowed to like plan anything and everything has to be on a whim and everything has to be like whatever they're craving in the moment. It's like, no, like I, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I work outside of the house most of the day. I have to pack my breakfast and my lunch and a snack. So there is, you can still plan, um, but it's not something you have to be rigid for. And then some people are like, I would love to meal prep, but I don't have an entire Sunday to do that. And I'm like, girl, you don't need an entire Sunday to do that. You need maybe two hours and it, you can use convenience foods like frozen foods to to do a lot of it. So I talk about a lot of that really practical stuff, like time management um, within the book. Cause I think it's super important for somebody who really does want to apply this to their lives, but you know, everybody has a different life. Everybody's, you know, hustle culture. We all have, I hate the word busy, but we all have like really full lives. So how do we do it in the context of those full lives? Absolutely. Right. I know that it, I think that's the thing people are always looking for, like the rules. <laughs> <laughs> When you have something like intuitive, it's like, wait a minute, are there rules to this? How do I, you know, it's always like still people are looking for like that, that holy grail of like, okay, this is the perfect way to do it. So yeah, for the rule followers, they're like, well, what are the parameters? What are the rules? Like, how do I know if I'm doing it right? And it's just like, I totally get that. Cause that was me too. But it's just, it's like, I've never listened to my body in my entire life. What are you talking about? <laughs> there is that difficult transition. So, you know, it is, I think there, there is you know, the important part of, of working with somebody and getting that support um, because it can get very confusing and it can, you need the support just to kind of go, oh my gosh, like I'm really struggling here. Well, I'm telling um, you, like I, I recovered by myself. I do not recommend it at all. Um, I, I'm an only child, so I'm very like stubborn and independent. And I was like, I don't need anybody. Like I'm going to do this on my own slash slash shame. You know, like I was like, you know, and a lot of people, you know, myself included, I didn't want to invest in having somebody help me. I was like, I'm not going to pay money. Like I I don't have the money was my excuse, which like, yeah, I was a grad student. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, looking back on the time I could have had back in my twenties when I was supposed to be having fun, that I wasted that I didn't have to waste if I just hired someone with the expertise in the background to give me accountability and support. I wouldn't have backslid a million times. It's just, it's hard. It's really hard um, Mm -hmm. to admit that you have a problem to invest in yourself when as a disordered eater, you might not have a lot of self-worth to make the investment to heal. It's hard. But I, you know, I hear you. I think, you know, having been there myself, I think there was a lot of shame and embarrassment just reaching out for help and admitting even to myself, let alone a therapist. I, you know, talk about all the time on here. Like I lied to my therapist so many times because it was like, I'm not telling you, Um, you know, but so I I get that part. It's hard to even reach out. Um, So I, and probably a lot of people listening are going, yeah, no way. I'm not talking to anybody. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's why I, I offer group coaching. I don't even do one-on-one is because I think there's something. And again, maybe this is also partially because I'm an only child and I like seek a group, <laughs> but it's just mm-hmm. like, 
the accountability and support that you can get from people and just the realization that you're not alone. Like when I found intuitive eating podcasts and people talking about the things that I was going through, I was like, oh my God, like other people do this? Like this is a thing? It blew my mind. Right. Right. And, you know, even if someone's listening today and and getting anything out of this or relating at all, um, because it can be scary too to to join a group that can be intimidating. I hear lots of people I work with one-on-one going, I'm not joining a group of units. Um, That's, that's scary too. But to your point, it can be really helpful to hear other people and know you're not alone and relate. So lots of different avenues for getting support and help. Um, So, you know, listen to things, read books when they come out, um, just understand you're not alone. What you're doing is not you being a failure or screwing it up or lacking willpower. Like, if you're struggling, it's because you're struggling with something that's bigger than you. And, you know, you can definitely um, reach out, get help. And, and I'm glad there's people like Alana out there that's that's doing the good work. You know, we need way more of you out there. Um, yes, me too. We need, we need both of us cloned a lot. So if people do want to work with you, how can they find you? So uh, my website is freedomwithfoodandfitness.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Freedom With Food and Fitness, on Facebook at Freedom With Food and Fitness. Um, I have a Facebook group called Defy the Diet and Beat the Binge. Uh, and yeah, if someone wants to work with me as of uh, 2023, I have four different packages available, four different price points. So depending on the level of support you would like and how long you would like that support, um, you can go to Freedom with food and fitness.com to check that out. Fantastic. And I love your posts and everything. So you're the great work and I can't wait for your book to come out. So uh, keep me posted on that as well. Um, All right, everyone, I'll have all her information in the show notes. So if you didn't get that down, do not worry. You can also go to the website and get all her information from there too. So thank you again. Any last words before we end? Uh, you are not alone. And as you said, this is, you're, it's, it's part of a bigger issue that is not, that doesn't lie with you. So find the support, find the help, find the community and um, start your journey. Awesome. Thank you so much. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.